This is an episode that I want to comment on something, but I can't really 100% tell you why yet. So all I'm going to say is this is basically the last episode where they used the old style uniforms, the old TNG uniforms, and we'll officially be replacing them with the new style Deep Space Nine slash movie uniforms henceforth. I swear that'll come up later, so just remember it, okay? While they were filming this episode, it was actually pretty warm, relatively speaking. And not super warm, but, you know, warm enough that people in outfits and with tons of plaster and makeup on their faces would be pretty uncomfortable. I, I just point that out because the visual cinematography director and the directors and editors as well basically pulled a lot of tricks to try and make it look colder than it actually was. And I don't know about you guys, but personally I think they succeeded. It probably helps that I myself have actually been in circumstances where it's bright and sunny and shiny and really, really cold. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I've been there before, so... I bought the illusion. They did a good job with it. <clears throat> so... <laughs> I love the bit where Nog is moving out to move in with Jake. Jake, or excuse me, Jake is moving out to mo live, in, live with Nog. And Nog is back from the Academy, which is good. We need more Nog in our lives. I, I just real. I actually have some eggnog in the fridge. I should have totally pulled it out and just been like, we need more nog in our lives. I'm a geek. Um, let's talk about the nog plot first. First of all, there's this, actually this really cool bit where nog is lifting these weights. Now, if you look at them, they look really light, like three pounders, maybe five. But I point this out because they have these little blinking lights, or not blinking, but you know, these little lights on the side. And I just started thinking, you know, the idea of artificially gravity weights is a really cool idea because that way you can have all the weights in one weight right it would just artificially pull harder maybe it's magnetic or something you know something like that to to be able to more specifically change its uh how much how much pr uh, resistance you have and at the same time it, you don't actually need to go buy an entire set of weights just a cool idea a little setting building in the background there Funnily enough, there actually is something like that in real life, but that's mostly just, it's a barbell that you just add more and more and more weight to it, and it kind of locks in. But anyways, <clears throat> so Nog, don't worry, I'm going to take care of your son. And Nog is, of course, super rigid. Question, why do you think he is so rigid? Now, I have two possible answers here, but as ever, I would like to hear your guys' thoughts, which is why I'm kind of rambling just for a minute for you guys to be able to either pause or just give me your thoughts before I... You'll give you my thoughts, because my thoughts are either one of two things. Either A, it's because he just came from the Academy and they're super strict, or B, and I think this is more likely, he just came from the Academy and he's been having trouble. I don't mean like he's not been doing well in his grades. By all accounts, Nog is a very hard worker who is legitimately intelligent. And of course, he's on the officer track, so they are harder on those cadets than otherwise. But, well, I point this out because... I like to think that Nog has basically been pushing him way, pushing himself way harder than he otherwise would, specifically because he is having a hard time of it. He, he's starting at a disadvantage, in other words, and he's refusing to let that stop him. That seems kind of like his old character arc in a nutshell, really. He's a Ferengi who doesn't have any particular profit or wealth, doesn't have any position, doesn't have any family, and he's trying to join Starfleet. Literally the first Ferengi in Starfleet, so... Yeah, I think he's just pushing himself so hard that he's adopted this ultra-rigid mentality, not just when it comes to house-cleaning stuff, but in regards to everything, because it's the only way he's been able to keep up. 
I think this is part of why Rom is so concerned about him. And this is just my interpretation, of course. But I like to think that Rom is looking at his son and seeing a son who is burning himself out, basically trying to prove how good he can be, or trying to make up that deficit. And so he's worried that his son will not be able to grow up properly. And I'm with him on that. So I agree. I think Jake and, and Nog are, are a good match for each other. Because Jake, well, this is the other thing. This is basically the odd couple, isn't it? I mean, you've got the kid who's pushing himself. One way or the other, he is pushing himself. It's just, I don't know how hard he's pushing himself. So that's interpretation. But the kid who's pushing himself to, to be in Starfleet on the officer track, trying to do as best as he can, blah, 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 versus the kid who's a writer. Now, I don't mean to fling any kind of shade on that one, because Lord knows that I understand full well how difficult and arduous it can be to be a writer. I also tend to get a little bit prickly when people insult me by saying that my job requires no real work, that I don't have a real job, etc. So I totally get that writing is a real job. However, when it comes to a day-to-day -day existence, writing is a stay-at-home job that involves you trying to do everything you can to pour your creativity into your words, which means not really spending a lot of time, you know, cleaning up or... Or, well, actually, that's not necessarily true because everyone has their own methods. But my point is I could see how Jake basically lets things go to a mess because he's not thinking about that. He's thinking about a story. I get that. I really do. But in the same manner that I think Nog is pushing himself too hard, I think Jake is pushing himself too hard, just in a totally different direction. He's focusing all on this one project, and that's causing some issues. So I personally think that it would be a good match between the two for them to be able to learn off of each other. <laughs> There's this bit where Jake gets upset because Nog, you know, corrects some, some spelling and grammar, and Jake's like, no, you don't do that. That's actually funny, because he's right. You don't do that. That was actually kind of a dick move on Nog's part. Although, in Nog's defense, he does apologize for it. But I point that out because I wonder if they have, like, change history. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, undo is kind of a fairly typical concept when it comes to computing in general, but when it comes to some forms of development, you don't just undo the last five or six or how many uh, state steps it has buffered, but you can undo all the way back to the original because it saves every step of the, pro the process. I'm just curious how they deal with that, because theoretically, it should be easy for him to be like, all right, undo all changes back to yesterday. But of course, we know Star Trek doesn't know what backups are, right? Unless your name is O'Brien. <clears throat> so... There's also a bit where Jake is playing, you know, he's playing a video game, basically. He's playing Dom John as he's sitting there. And I find that amusing, too, because, again, his defensive, he gets very defensive when he's called on that. I understand, I, I, this is just me reading too much into this, I'm sure, but I, I have the exact same mentality. Every now and again, this is a true story, and every now and again in my real life job, I have my Switch right over there, and I just pull it out and play it for a bit. Because every now and again, I just need to completely degauze mentally, because I, I spend a lot of myself sitting down here, and whenever I'm uh, watching or playing something with my notes handy, my brain is completely focused on analysis mode, and that's a very stressful, very strenuous thing, which wears me out very quickly, most especially mentally. You can ask my friends. By the end of the day, I'm just... So I have the switch there to just kind of degauze a bit to make sure that I don't go brain dead before I get the work done for the day. So I kind of get where Jake's coming from on that. But I also get being defensive about that because I myself tend to argue with myself. It's like, I could be spending this time working. And I have to tell myself, no, no, if I do nothing but work, I'll have the crunch problem. And well, as I've said many, many times, crunch is bad. So I get where he's coming from on that. Now... I, I want to comment on a concept before we move over to the Odo Quark plot, because 
I call it the acid test. It's living together with someone. In my experience, both in personal as well as second person, uh, anytime you move in with someone, it's different. They may be your friend, they may be your girlfriend or boyfriend or loved one or family member or whatever, but actually moving in and living with someone is just a different experience. When you have to, have to, deal with someone on a day-to-day -day basis, the whole process just gets different. And that's why I call it the acid test. If you could withstand the acid, then you're good. If you can't, well, you should probably not live together. Um, it's one of the reasons why I always recommend couples live together for a while before they decide to actually get married. It's because not everyone can do that. No judgment, no, no shade thrown here, no negativity. It's just not everyone fits together on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm sure you guys understand what I mean by this. And so we kind of see this with Jake and Nug, two people who are basically best, best friends, let's be honest with ourselves, and they're having issues. Although I, they do resolve it a little bit too quickly because this is Star Trek and it's a B-plot. But I would, I would like to think that these two took a while longer to actually get to the point where they could be comfortable living together. Which I suppose brings me to the other plot, the Odo Quark plot. First of all, let me just say that probably the biggest flaw of the Odo Quark plot is the fact that Odo really went into this blind. He didn't know what the grand jury was. He didn't know what was going on with it. He just took Quark with it. He, sh he should have access to enough information to be able to deduce at least partially why this is going on. And instead, Quark basically has to lay it out for him. I feel like that's the only flaw in that, because otherwise the A-plot is amazing. You just put Armin Shimmerman and René Abergenois together, who are friends in real life, or at least were at the time of filming, by the way. So the two bounce off of each other wonderfully and have always had amazing chemistry together. And you just put them into a room, or on a mountain in this case, and film. It's just gold. It's kind of like all the, uh, all the uh, Jakar and uh, Londo scenes back in Babylon 5. Like, even in otherwise bad episodes, there would just be a segue with those two, and it was just, yes. <laughs> so, <clears throat> what I do like is that we once again see this perspective on the prideful uh, Odo, the person who's very private. You know, I'm not going to play cards with you, I'm not going to interact with you. And he's reading a romantic novel uh, for, for you know, studying purposes, right? Now, what's funny is Odo is a terrible liar. We've established this many times. He, uh, he usually tries to lie by one of two things, either an incredibly obvious lie or flat denial. In this case, I think it's the obvious lie. But he's getting a little bit better at it because I feel like there's a nugget of truth there. He says he's reading it to study it, you know, to, to learn more about the criminal mind. I do think he's learning, reading it to study it, but I don't think it's for the criminal mind. I think this is Odo trying to expose himself more towards romantic concepts in general trying to understand how romance works, and going to uh, not the worst possible source, but it's certainly in the top ten. I mean, I've read those novels too. Don't judge me. I was curious. They're not that good. In fact, they're basically terrible. If anything, that is, by all accounts, the point. Uh, I actually know several friends, most of them are women, who rather enjoy those kind of pulp novels, and they enjoy them because they're bad. It, it's a it's a so good it's bad kind of a situation. It's just oh my god, and then and then he actually there. This is not a joke. There's one about a time traveling Viking. I want to say, who's actually like a CIA agent or something. I don't know. It's just it's just a thing. So it is. I like to think that Odo's doing that for that reason. And then there's this bit, and see, this, is, this isn't quite a flaw, but this does get to me a little bit, because Quark complains about there being a noise. Now, 
Quark is correct because he ha is actually noticing this noise, which has started within the last hour. It is a recent noise. Ferengi hearing is very good, and Quark, well, at the very least Armin Shimmerman, acts in a very specific way when he's lying and when he's not. You can always tell, or at least I, I should say, I, I can always tell. I'm sure most of you know what I'm talking about. He, he acts completely differently when he's just kind of trying to deflect, or when he's, <laughs> he's just lying, or oh, maybe I'll just lie about this then. But no, when he gets serious, there's basically nothing there. He just gets, his tone shifts completely down, like, a, like almost a full octave, and he's just, do you hear that? It's just this weird sound. That's not a lie. And Odo doesn't pick up on that. The observer doesn't pick up on that, which is just weird. So then they find the bomb. <sighs> then they point to the mountain climb. I used to do mountain climbing. This is many years ago, when I was in a lot better shape, a lot younger, and didn't have a bad leg because this was before the accident. Um, I never climbed anything even remotely that tall, and I'm not even sure I could have back then, to be completely honest. Mountain climbing is dangerous as hell and exhausting as hell. And trying to do that kind of an, a climb while carrying something in the cold? Yeah... That's, uh, I, I will admit, when I first saw that, even back in the day, that was just, oh, jeez, that looks terrible. So, I, I know this is going to sound strange. This is an episode that I appreciate the details of, but it's hard to really relate those to you. Because what happens is, there's basically a baseline of interaction between Cork and Odo, which is usual cantankerousness, right? They're just... Bickering and fighting and, and throwing, you know, blah, 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 you're terrible, blah, blah, blah. And then every now and again, and when I say every now and again, I mean this happens repeatedly throughout the episode, they dip down to serious mode, just for, just for like a line. Quark. 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 Okay, back up to here, back up to here. He's okay, he's okay. Or, oh no, what are we going to do? Ah, Drop back down. Well, really? You think this way? Yeah. Right back up to Kendra. They just dip in and out of of this mode throughout the entirety of the episode. It's all good stuff. And you can always tell because the actors always vary their tone and their body language every time they basically drop the facade and then go right back to their usual game. I point that out because this is this is uniquely Star Trek, isn't it? A show that's all about, you know, people and rela uh, the relationships between people, the friendships, the connections, the respect and tolerance and understanding that is that is the future, right? And here we have two people who, if you were looking on the surface level, absolutely despise each other. In fact, they even fight in this episode, and Odo ends up breaking his leg as a consequence of that. But they do actually have the same respect, care, and understanding between each other. This is well established, especially by this point, season five. Never mind prior to now. And, I mean, the the the, the bit at the very end kind of makes it as clear as possible. I meant every word of it. Yeah, me too. And they just both kind of chuckle a little bit. Because that, in my opinion, and I'm going to get a little bit philosophical here, but that, in my opinion, is the Star Trek message in a nutshell. No, seriously. We all respect and tolerate and care about each other does not mean we are all the same, right? I, I feel like I said this already many times back in the Mass Effect days. Because homogenization is not what, I, what I'm pushing here. Homogenization is not what Star Trek's pushing. It's a combination because we are different. And, in, and when I say different, I don't just mean I prefer uh, carrots. Well, I prefer Brussels sprouts. I actually like both myself. No, I mean we express ourselves differently. We show what we feel and we think differently. We, let's just be blunt. Cork and Odo are friends. The end. Now, 
we can argue the variance of that friendship and which exact gradient it is. That's totally a valid thing. But there is definitely a connection of friendship between the two and absolutely a connection of mutual respect. And yet, they don't express it in what would be considered a normal manner. That's one of the reasons I find their dynamics so fascinating. Now, you could argue that that's an overplayed trope, and that's a valid thing to say, especially now, because this kind of archetype, uh, character's archetype, has been done many times since then. But I personally like this example, A, because I enjoy it, like I said, for the differences thing I just mentioned, but B, because these are two excellent actors who do a great job of showing it. Always got to love the good presentation values. Kind of like the opposite of my show. You want, you want good presentation values, you go watch Low Reloaded. <laughs> Still not sure I agree about the Borg. Anyways, so uh, I do like, I, I mentioned here, you know, Odo doesn't realize he was a witness. What I like best is Odo pushes back. And Odo, when he, so Quark, you know, is like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, you're an idiot. I was a thing. So Odo decides to push back in his usual cantankerous way. So he's still in the mode of the game. Quark then pushes back in a way that is not the game. He is actually being serious. And the whole tone of that moment just sort of drops several several octaves, you know, it's just and then and then Quark's just like, "Come on, let's just go." And I like that because, well, that's the acid test again. See, the acid test, as far as living together, is you know the constant exposure. There's no big thing; it's just you have to deal with this person all the time. This survivalist scenario is similar but in a, in a more condensed fashion. You have to deal with this person all the time because you're traveling with them in this survival situation, but also everything is wrong. You know what I mean? They're hot, they're tired, they're hungry, they're dehydrating, they're slowly running out of everything, and they're just kind of falling apart at the seams. Oh, and also there's that person over there who had, they have to endure every way. So, in other words, it's not so much the interaction with the person so much as everything being wrong plus forced interaction with the person. So kind of, like I said, kind of an inverse of the usual acid test. So we can see how Quark and Odo do start to grate on each other. And yet, at the, the funny thing is, even though they do escalate into an actual fight, and Odo does actually break his leg, the moment that shock wears off, they're back to being normal. They have vented. You know, they, they have expressed how they feel. They've gotten it out. And what I love best, by the way, is both of them, basically, they don't actually say directly, but they imply exactly what it is that really bothers them about the other. Quark doesn't like the fact that Odo just can't allow himself to lower that facade for even a minute. He's got to be the prideful, aloof, private person who no one knows the truth of what he's thinking or feeling at any point in time. And Odo can't stand the fact that Quark just doesn't take anything seriously, or at least seemingly does, and lies constantly while trying to finagle his way through life with no real order or reason to it. So the two, the lawful versus the chaotic, if you want to put it into simplistic terms, just bounce off of each other. It is also, of course, wonderfully worth noting that as soon as, you know, as Odo's laying there, he says, yeah, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay? Well, I think I broke my leg. Okay. And yet Quark doesn't abandon him. Now, I point that out. I mean, of course, you're saying, well, of course he doesn't. But I point that out because a lot of people tend to forget, since fiction tends to blur these lines, that there's a difference between... I don't like you, and I'm willing to let you die. Even people, in real, this is true in real life as well, even real life humans will look at another human being, and there is an innate sympathy there when it gets to, let's call it what it is, the real stuff. When things get actually serious, someone actually leaving someone else to die is only going to happen because of either a panic instinct 
or you know because they are really a horrible person or because there's that much legitimate ire between the two it's a different level is what i'm trying to say it's a whole different tier neither odo nor quark would ever consider truly abandoning the other not really because they're not at that tier they're nowhere near it as i mentioned earlier friends and i just like the way it showcases that because the idea of being left behind is brought up by both several times, and there's some joking answers to it, but neither of them seriously considers it even for a moment. And I like that. Then, of course, they're rescued. Michael Dorn is standing there, having had to go through a makeup call for basically nothing. I've always felt bad for him for that. Odo's had that same problem, too. You ever worry about that? Like, being on a show where you have to do, do a three-hour makeup call just to show up on screen and basically have no lines? Anyways... So, <clears throat> I actually don't have much else to say. It's a very good episode. I very much enjoyed this episode. It's a good examination of people and their hows, how they interact with each other, how they tolerate each other, and how they react when things get bad. I do kind of like, though, that in both cases there is the narrative consistence of someone forcing the situation upon them. Nog and, and Jake just did not want to live with each other until Cisco forced the issue. And Cork and Odo didn't really want to do this except for the whole survivalist thing forced the issue. Interesting stuff. I don't have much else to say. I do apologize. I will see you guys next time. <laughs>